Now we continue our studies in 1 Peter this morning as we look at chapter 3, verses 13 to 22. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 22. And in these verses, we are going to look we are going to look at Christ in a threefold position. First of all, in the heart, then on the hill, and then up in heaven. So let's read these verses together. Chapter 3, verses 13 to 22. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure thereon were unto even baptism, doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Now, keep in mind that when Peter, in verses 19 to 21, is speaking about preaching on the spirits in prison. He is referring to the Spirit of God preaching through Noah in his, in his day. He is not speaking about Christ descending into hell to preach to lost souls. For he himself had already said in Luke 16 about a man who died, was buried in hell, he lifted up his eyes, and when he pleaded for mercy, there was none offered because a great gulf was fixed. And so it cannot refer to Christ giving a second chance to those who are lost in hell. 
Neither does it teach baptismal regeneration. We know that the Mormon church and also the sect known as the Church of Christ teach that baptism is essential for salvation. Now, baptism, according to this chapter, does not wash away sins. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from all sin, and if the blood cleanseth from all sin, how can water deal with it? What is referred to here is this, that as water separated the godly family in the Old Testament from all around, then the baptism by water, that is immersion, is an outward sign of how God has worked in the hearts of people to save them. And so it is not salvation by water. It is salvation by blood alone. And this is but an outward sign of an inward work of grace. I thought I'd explain that in case someone reading it may have felt that water or baptism saves. It may make a person wetter. It doesn't make them any better. And so we're saved by grace alone. But let's turn to our three thoughts concerning Christ. In verse 15, we have Christ in the heart. In verse 18, we have Christ on the hill. And then in verse 22, we have Christ up in heaven. First of all, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now remember that the Christ of God is equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. There are three persons in the Trinity, separate, yet equal in power, authority, and so on. Now, Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 28, he uses these words addressing Christ. He says, my Lord and my God. So Christ is divine. He's the Lord God. And Peter tells us that we are to sanctify or let our lives be used as sanctuaries wherein Christ can dwell. But sanctify. Allow your heart to become a holy place for Christ to dwell in. Give Christ a unique place in your hearts. Now Peter, no doubt, was contrasting the pagan religion with the Christian one. And those pagans of his day who worshipped idols for the Romans and the Greeks and others had their idols. And what they did was this. 
In their homes they had a special place where they set up these little deities or little gods. And before they had a meal, they offered some to the God. Before they went out to work, they knelt before this little idol. Before they engaged in friendships, they knelt before this little idol and prayed. In their social living, they looked to this little God that was but an idol for guidance. In other words, the false God was given a unique place in the lives of the pagans all around the people of God. And yet here were things that were lifeless, that were useless, and could not have any effect for good upon the lives of those who bowed before them. Now Peter is saying that Christ should be given a unique place in the heart. And when Christ comes into the heart, he brings a change to the life so that the believer each day kneels before the Christ of God and allows Christ to affect his social, his business, his personal, his church life. And Peter tells how it affects the believer. If Christ is given a sanctuary in the heart, it says, first of all, it affects our, lie, our lips. In verse 15, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you, for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. If Christ is in the heart, then people will ask, what does he mean to you? What has he done for you? What will he do for you in the future? And the believer, because Christ is in the heart, should be able to open his or her mouth and speak for Christ. Christ in the heart means that we testify with our lips. Christ in the heart means more than testifying with the lips. It also means testifying with the life. In verses 16 and 17, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well doing than for evil doing. And so Peter is saying if Christ is in the, the heart, then the lips will testify to that fact. And above all, the life will testify to that fact. We cannot go through life saying, we don't need to speak for Christ. Our lives should do it. That is wrong. We have got to speak with our lips about Christ. 
It is also equally wrong to go about talking about Christ and our lives denying what we are saying. And I'm sure you're familiar with the story of the brothers who were twins. And one was a doctor, one was a minister. They lived in this village, and often because they were identical twins, they were mistaken for each other. And one little woman in the village one day said to the doctor, I enjoyed your sermon yesterday. And he says, I'm afraid you've got me mixed up with my brother. I'm the one that practices, he's the one that preaches. Now, this should not be. We should not only preach what we practice, but practice what we preach. And if Christ is in your heart, believer, as you claim he is, then our lives must testify as well as our lips, and our lips must testify as well as our lives. But maybe he's not in your heart this morning. Maybe he is still outside. Maybe some young person, middle-aged or old person, here this morning, and Christ has not been given a place in your heart. Now why? Why are you keeping him outside? A little fellow called Michael lived out in Lebanon. And Michael had been brought up in the Muslim faith. But because of an illness, he was brought to the mission hospital, and there he learned about Christ. And one day he heard the teacher repeating, Revelation 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him, and he with me. And little Michael thought of this verse. And then he went to the missionary afterward and said, Would you say that verse again about Jesus standing outside the heart's door? And the missionary did so. And the missionary asked him why he wanted it repeated. And little Michael said, when anyone comes to our door, it's bad manners to keep them outside. Once they make their presence felt, we consider it to be bad manners to keep them outside. So we bring them in. And the teacher, the missionary, looked at little Michael and said to him, Michael, have you been good-mannered or bad-mannered toward Christ? Is he outside your heart or inside? And little Michael thought for a moment, he said, I've been bad-mannered. But I'm going to be good-mannered. I'm going to receive him in today. And he opened his heart and received Christ. Tell me, what are your manners toward Christ? Are you being bad-mannered today by keeping him out? Or are you going to be good-mannered and receive him in? Swing wide the door of your heart to the King of Kings. Bid him enter wonderful peace he brings. He will shelter you under his outstretched wings. Swing wide the door of your heart to the King of Kings. Christ 
in the heart. Then verse 18, Christ on the hill. For Christ also hath one suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And this verse brings before us the cross of Christ. And we can never think of the cross of Christ without going to Calvary's hill. We can never think about Calvary's hill and not think about the worth of the sacrifice of Christ. The sacrifice of Christ was a painful one because we read that Christ suffered. He suffered in the flesh. It wasn't something he imagined. He suffered in his flesh. In the body that God had prepared for him. A body that could feel pain as your body and mind feels pain. And let us travel from the hall of Pilate to the hill of Calvary. And let us see him in the flesh in his body as he stands before Pilate. And Pilate says, you're a king. And the soldier says, he's a king. Let's have a coronation. And so they got an old robe and put him on him. And says, there's your regal robe. They say, you need a scepter. And they got an old broken reed and put it in his hands. They said, you need a crown as a king. And they plotted a crown of thorns and beat it into his brow. And they said, a king needs to be anointed. And they spit upon him. And the foul spitless man run down the lovely features of the king of kings. And then they took the robe from off him. And they whipped him. They made long their furrows upon his back. And then they put the old robe upon him again. And they placed that old rugged cross upon his shoulders. And they led him out to the hill of Calvary. And when they got to the hill... They stretched them out on that old rugged cross and they took the spikes and they nailed his hands and they nailed his feet. And the hymn writer could say, Hark, I hear the dull blow of the hammer swung low. They are nearly my Lord to the tree and the cross they upraise as the multitudes gaze on the blessed Lamb of dark. Calvary. And when they dropped that cross into the socket in the ground, such was the force it fell into the ground with that all his bones were out of joint. Such was the mess they made of his face that his visage was more marred than any man. 
And then they taunted him. If thou be the Christ, save thyself. Come down from the cross and we believe you. Oh, the cross work of Christ was a painful one. He felt every pain that was inflicted upon his body. And it was for you and for me. Thank God it was a complete sacrifice. For he suffered once for sins. Hebrews 10 verse 12. But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Sat down at the right hand of God. Never again will Christ climb a hill called Calvary. Never again will God demand a sacrifice for sins. When Christ died and cried, it is finished. Then done forever was the work that saved. It is a complete, it is a finished work. And that is why it is an insult to the Christ of God for any priest of Rome to stand and offer a mass and say it is a sacrifice for sins. It is blasphemous. And we would agree with that and yet is it not true that there are many Protestants as bad as Roman Catholic priests. For the priest will come and say, this is an offering for sin. We'll be accepted before God. And there are many Protestants who are saying, my good works will save me. My church going will save me. Being a good neighbor will save me. And they're offering that as a sacrifice unto God. And it's no different from the Romish priest. And if you are seeking today to come to God on any other ground but the sacrifice of Christ, what you're offering is an insult to God and the work of Christ. Christ finished the work. And you and I need to add nothing to it nor take anything away from it. It's complete. Thank God it's a beneficial sacrifice. For he died the just for the unjust to bring us to God. When a sinner comes to Christ, Christ takes the hand of the sinner and the hand of God and he brings them both together. The sinner is reconciled to God by the death of God's own Son. Romans 5 verse 10. Reconciled to God by the death of his Son and again. Perhaps you have heard this illustration that is often used concerning this, of the couple who parted. They had one son to the marriage. The husband left the area where they lived. The mother kept the boy. 
Years rolled by and the husband decided to visit the home again and see if he could meet with his estranged wife and see his boy again. And when he got back to the village or the place where he lived, he was told that his only boy had died. He found out where he was buried. He made his way along to the graveyard. Asked where the grave was, it was pointed out to him, and he moved toward the grave of his boy. And as he approached, he saw someone kneeling at the grave. He realized it was his estranged wife. She heard the footsteps. She looked up and saw her estranged husband. And the natural reaction for them both was this. For the wife to drop her head and go on attending to the grave and for the husband to turn and walk away. But that didn't happen. The husband moved forward and knelt at the other side of the grave. He reached out his hand. His wife reached out her hand. And they were reunited across the grave of their son, brought together by the death of the son. And you and I, if we know Christ today as Savior, then we are reconciled to God. We belong to God because of the death of his son. Are you enjoying the benefits of the cross? The sacrifice that was painful, that was complete, that was beneficial. Christ on the hill. Now we think of Christ up in heaven, verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject Unto him. Now you see, the Lord Jesus Christ was put to death in the flesh. But according to verse 18, he was quickened by the Spirit. God didn't leave his son in the place of death, God raised his son from the dead. And God brought him up to heaven. And Christ is in heaven. The suffering is over. There's no more cross. There's no more tomb. They're both empty. The throne is filled at God's right hand. And as the hymn writer has put it, the head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. The royal diadem adorns the mighty victor's brow. And why is he there? Because he has authority over all. Christ has the final say. When it comes to the future. Of those who would still keep him on the hill. In the place of rejection. Those who would keep him out of their hearts. Out of their hearts. For he has been appointed judge. Acts 17, verse 31, 
God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead, that is Christ. And if there's someone in the church this morning who is keeping Christ in the place of rejection, keeping Christ out of their hearts and saying, stay on the hill as far as we're concerned, then this is Christ's word to you. If you don't want me in your heart, then I don't want you in heaven. It's just as plain as that. If you don't want me in your heart, I don't want you in heaven. For the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 8, 21, concerning those who would keep him outside their hearts, ye shall die in your sins, and where I am ye cannot come. Matthew 25, verse 41, depart from me ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Listen, friends, there's a heaven that Christ wants you to be, but if you keep him outside your heart, then he'll send you to hell. And that's one of the hardest things a preacher has to say. And I don't believe the unsaved in this church this morning realize the awfulness of hell, or they wouldn't leave this church without Christ. For hell and the lake of fire are forever. The drunkard will be there, but there will be no drink. The gambler will be there, but there will be no gambling. The Christ rejectors there, never an opportunity to receive Christ. And yet Christ died on that old hill to save you from it. He wants into your heart to make sure you don't go there. So what's it going to be today? Are you going to give him a place in your heart? Or is he going to have to give you a place in hell? You may have gone far in the dark and the cold, like one in the wilderness lost. But would you come back to the true shepherd's fold? There is only a line to be crossed. Oh, won't you step over, step over it now, believing his word to be true? Come then at the foot of the cross humbly by and let the dear Savior save you. Our closing hymn. Hymn number 362, 362. Have you any room for Jesus, he who bore your load of sin? 362.
trust that you will give consideration to the seriousness of what we have said. I trust that those who perhaps felt it towards the end, that it should be treated in a lightish manner, in a matter of lightness, will realize that we're dealing with eternal things. We're dealing with heaven and hell. And these are things not to be treated lightly. Now let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, write eternal truths into our hearts. Help us to realize that heaven is real and hell is real. Help us to realize that if we die without Christ, we'll be lost forever. But help us to realize that in Christ, we can have salvation, not only from hell, but salvation from sin and from Satan as well. Our Father, part us with thy blessing in our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen.